Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here Len May, endo DNA Heat guaranteed when you press in the play Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls Welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal I'm super excited to have my guest today uh, We tried this several other times and. Timing didn't work out, but I'm excited to have Dr. Roman Velasquez. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Everything's Person today. How's it going? Thanks, Lynn. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Great. Really excited. You know, third time's a charm, like you said. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, really looking forward for this dialogue, man. So I'm super curious, man. I have, I have like a million things to ask because I, I think what you're doing is fascinating. But interpersonal neurobiological neuroscientist. That's what I read. So what, what is that? And how do you become one of those uh, long names? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, well, first of all, I, I, my, my education really is uh, um, in, the, uh, in the leadership field. Um, I have a doctorate degree in leadership and uh, minor in psychology. But uh, I got an opportunity to, um, to uh, get accepted on a three-year program, postdoctoral three-year program on neurobiology and I like the uh, interpersonal part of it and this is how the um, human brain really takes shape in terms of society in terms of interpersonal uh, relationships so Mm -hmm. so I I also dwelled into the sports uh, neuroscience of it as well so you know being a former boxer and, and a former wrestler uh, amateur, of course, I never turned pro. I, I, I went to school instead, but uh, um, it was a love for the sport too. And uh, I, I chose that way because I started really in uh, doing leadership, neuro leadership uh, workshops and seminars mm-hmm. and consulting with entrepreneurs and, and, and business corporate types. And um, about four, four and a half years, five years ago, uh, a, uh, a world uh, boxing champion called me up and wanted to do some uh, work with me in terms of uh, uh, visualization and mindfulness. And, mm-hmm. and I am advanced in, in, uh, and certified in advanced mindfulness techniques as well as visualization. So I started working with him and uh, one athlete led to another athlete. And, and so I've been training with athletes, professional uh, athletes in both boxing and mixed martial arts uh, for uh, since then, so uh, that's uh, really my uh, my trajectory, short term there. So, wh- where did you? Let, let's go all the way back. Where where did you grow up? Pardon me. Where did you grow grow up? Okay, yeah. So I'm originally from El Paso, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in El Paso, Texas. Uh, graduated from high school, then joined the Marine Corps at an early age. So I spent uh, um, 15 years in the Marine Corps as a criminal investigator uh, in their law enforcement field. Um, that's where I uh, finished off a bachelor's degree 
in uh, human services and occupational education. And so I served my career there for about 15 years. And then uh, I got out, went into the corporate world, continued with my studies. And, um, and up to five years, uh, five years ago, I, I started uh, NeuroPeak Performance. Yeah. And uh, this is what I've been doing for a while now. So going into the military, uh, <clears throat> was that, was that something like in your home life that you have other people that were in the military that you follow suit or was that somewhere of a rebellious act or how'd you get into that? I mean, the Marines, you know, I know some people are like, uh, shit, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do in my life. I'm just going to join the Marines. Was it like that? <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's a very good question. No, you know, I, uh, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be in law enforcement. So uh, I knew right off the bat that I wanted to be in law enforcement uh, I, I, even in grade school. As a matter of fact, back then in grade school, they had what they called patrol boys. And they wore a little yellow vest with a little badge. And you had a big stop sign. And kids actually stopped vehicles out in the street uh, so the kids could cross uh, after school or in the morning. So I was one of those. And, and, and I wanted to be in law enforcement. As I continued to mature in high school, I, um, I did fairly well in my studies. I was in the uh, National Honor Society, and uh, I really wanted to go to college, too, but I wanted to see the world. I wanted to travel, get out of El Paso, and, and experience something new, something just, just new. And then I met a Marine Corps recruiter, and I just fell in love with the uniform, man. That he looked so crisp and sharp and was so professional and courteous. And I said, I want to be like that. So he, uh, we talked and I told him, listen, I want to be in law enforcement. I said, you know what? I got a job for you. We have law enforcement officers in the Marine Corps. You will go in and ride after boot camp and you go through infantry school. You go to the military police academy and you will be in law enforcement. So I said, sign me up. Where do I sign up? I'll go. And that's the way it went. You know, it was no big thought about it. No yeah. rebellious agnel, nothing. It was me wanted to be in law enforcement. Number two, fell in love with the uniform, with this guy, the, his appearance. And I wanted to, to leave El Paso and go see the world. And what a great way, you know, serving, serving country. So, Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Thank you for your service, too. I think it's, so I have a, when I was a kid, we had in my, grade school we had safeties and it was the same kind of thing you wore a sash and uh when when people cross when the kids cross the street you put your arms out and you have a stop sign they stop so i i was a safety but my reasoning was a little different than yours i had no interest in being in law enforcement there was a girl safety her name was bonnie and she was so hot she had feathered hair and she had a comb in her back pocket and she was a safety and i could be and she was older and i could be part of the safety news so i joined that but never followed through that was just a one-time shot and uh, she well, had that no was interest a, in me. <laughs> that was <laughs> it didn't great. Work out. <laughs> yeah, that was great, man. So being being in the being in the in the military police, uh, it probably was a pretty good opportunity and segue to start learning about uh, you know neuroscience and and sort of the 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 mindset of somebody that creates a criminal act, and then how do you put those pieces of the puzzle together? Did you feel that was a, a good sort of entryway for you to start thinking about uh, neuroscience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you deal with criminal behavior, you know, you tend to piece things together. You tend to, you know, start, you know, a profile process. But in the, at the end of the day, you, you, you get to understand that not every crime is the same. Yeah, there's some copycats out there that they see stuff on movies and TVs and they try to get away with certain behaviors, you know, criminal behaviors, but investigating is putting that, putting that puzzle together, you know, and, and, and it could get extremely technical. I remember going through the um, criminal investigations uh, Academy, which, uh, which is uh, six months at the time it was six months long. And there was one, uh, one and a half month of just pure, crime scene processing and mm -hmm. and the area that they taught the crime pre crime scene processing was up on a hill in this army base in fort mcclellan alabama the base mm -hmm. is closed now but fort mcclellan alabama uh, had the criminal investigations course for the u.s army and for the united states marine corps and it was actually it, it almost looked like a college campus that's mm -hmm. where all criminal investigators went for six months 
and I remember the um, the hill, as they call it. They called it No Go Hill because that's where you dropped a lot of criminal investigators want that wanted to graduate. They couldn't graduate because it was so intense and rigorous. Conducting a crime scene process is so uh, it's just so tedious that uh, a lot of people just couldn't handle that. They couldn't pass it. So, uh, yeah, that was Noble Hill. So, absolutely, you know, the criminal behavior, the uh, interrogate, interrogation portion of it, the interviewing portion of it, you learn a lot, a lot about human behavior. You learn about those deceptive behaviors. What do the deceptive behaviors look like? You tend to go inside that criminal mind and see what motivates that person and what their motive was. So, absolutely, you know, that uh, that portion of my line really was of my life really was the catalyst for me to to step into that neuroscientific world and find out exactly what makes a mind tick you know yeah i I love that and so kind of fast forward a little bit to the brain performance coach uh you know hat and so i see i follow you on instagram and all the other things it's so fascinating uh, to see the work that you're doing with uh, with athletes, and there's lights, and there's uh, objects flying at people. Can you sort of, uh, and you know, people can't see this right now. Can you give somebody like a visual picture of like how you would engage with an athlete, and some of the things that you do in your in your performance lab? Uh, you know, what is what are the lights, and what are the the reflexes? Like, I, I'm just curious on the physical and mental aspects of that, and how that prepares those athletes for, you know, better performance. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, but number one, I think that uh, you understand and a lot of people out there understand that before anything goes outwardly, even doing this requires millions of neural cell connections in the brain. So the brain really processes and orchestrates every type of movement that you are going to have out there along with the intricacies. The brain is very complex, but in the simplistic terms, um, We've got a, a, a thing called neuroplasticity, right? This is the uh, brain growing internal uh, connections uh, based on experiences, based on stimuli. So, so in working with athletes, we use various technologies. These are some of the latest technologies that are in today's marketplace that were once lab uh uh, technologies. Now we can grab those technologies and make the gym and turn the gym into a lab. So we've discovered that using these technologies, you can get very creative and keep the science behind the technologies and behind uh, the way that we make athletes perform a little bit better. Mm-hmm. We've uh, we've also discovered that that even though every athlete is different because they're wired differently up here. They have various different capabilities. Um, We've discovered that there are some commonalities Mm -hmm. that every athlete has in terms of performance. So we devised a 10-point assessment that we use. Okay, This 10-point assessment, we use it initially before we, we start our training protocols with the athlete to make sure what the challenges are where the opportunities are and where those strengths are so we could exploit them further. Um, now, one, with some of those commonalities obviously uh, make up this, uh, this 10-point assessment, as I said. And, and the first one is, 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 is very, I mean, very important. And this is the neural, visual, and brain processing speed aspect. This mm-hmm. is the way that your brain handles incoming visual information and at the rate of speed it handles that information mm-hmm. so why the visual is so important well out of all the receptors that our body has 80 percent of them are visual in nature they're in the eyes you know it has to do with vision and vision doesn't live in the eyes vision lives in the brain mm-hmm. with the visual cortex or here in the back right so the eyes are very important incoming that information but the way the brain process that information is uh, is very unique. There's a gating price process that we uh, we have automatically that makes us focus on things that we want to focus. You know, just like you're focusing on me right now. There's stuff in the back that really it's not your focus right now because you're listening mainly auditory, right? And the vision that you have on me right now. So that gating process allows us 
to have a window of opportunity on redirecting those neural networks to perform a little bit better, to discriminate information a little bit better, um, and to avoid distractive information and focus on what's really important, and that's that threat in front of you. Uh, and 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 we use we use some software that's uh, that's the best the best software right now in today's marketplace anywhere around the world. It's called NeuroTracker. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been you know it's got thirty years in the making. It's it's continually upgraded with new features and new metrics and, and stuff. So that uh, that has been important that we use that NeuroTracker and 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 that's the first thing that we work with. So I have a quick question uh, in in terms of what you were just saying. Do you see a pattern? With, and you work primarily with combat sport athletes and other athletes as well. Is there a pattern that a person who may be an elite athlete in that sport, do they have a quicker reaction time to those stimuli that, that comes in right off the bat? Or is something that you can train yourself to get? Uh, do you see a pattern uh, of that? There is no pattern. And that's a great mm-hmm. question, man, because we have seen um, very seasoned fighters, legendary fighters even, with the UFC that uh, have, uh, have scored low mm. on this process. And, and that doesn't mean that they're slow. Obviously, they, they've got speed. They've got accuracy. Their motor cortex is very well refined because of the years of training. But when it comes to processing information, they're a little bit slower. Okay, mm. and I'm not saying all of them. I'm saying some that are seasoned. We have seen this. But what's remarkable about this is that over a small period of time, the brain all of a sudden just makes these neural networks and and their speed just increases just uh, uh, astronomically. What what is what and that's a very good question because it's it leads me in segues into why is that so important in sports? In any sports. It turns out that in the brain, every sensory perception that we have has different frequencies inside the brain, different speeds. So when the brain speeds up its process of processing information and sensory stimuli, what the brain does, it slows down your environment. Uh, It's called time dilation prior to motor action. That means that the environment slows down for you perceptively so that you could be more accurate and precise uh, with your actions. So so does that mean that, first of all, I'm really happy you said that because what, what I think I hear is that even if you're great at what you do, there's always room to improve. And you can get better. And if you're not that uh, great, it doesn't mean that you can't be an elite athlete or, or do something that's uh, that's lead by training your brain and retraining your brain for optimizing performance. So there is no pattern of oh, these people are born with this uh, you know quick reflex and only they can be uh, an elite fighter. That's not the case. But in a, in addition to that, you have the ability to be able to sort of be in flow in the moment, slow down. Focus on what's in front of you. And as I understand what you're saying is sort of blurry out everything else that's around you so you can hyper-focus on what's coming at you, which I think is is really important. Is that is that my am I interpreting it correctly? No, absolutely, Lynn. You're absolutely correct. And yeah, no one is born an athlete, uh, an elite level athlete, just like no one is born to be, you know, a doctor, lawyer, whatever. You know, you learn to be that person by uh by uh, discipline yourself and, 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 and gaining that knowledge that you have, right, that you need. So, yeah, um, even elite-level athletes, there's always room for improvement. We, we, like to, uh, we like to see a minimum of, of a 50% increase, a minimum of 50% increase in, in everything that they do. And we, want, we like to shave off we work in milliseconds, right. so so that's one thousand of a second, right? So we work with milliseconds. We have, uh, you know, we we want we want to at least shave off uh, three hundred milliseconds of reaction speed 
uh, and, and those are our goals. And one of the questions that's always asked by uh, the, the athletes when we're about to train with them in, in our initial conversations, in our initial huddles and stuff is, mm-hmm. how long is it going to take me to see improvement? You know, they want it now. <laughs> I want to, I want to get improved. Just give me a week and I want to be uh, improved. Let me, week. yeah, let me take a blue pill or let me take a <laughs> exactly. red pill, right? Uh, so, yeah, and that's a great question. And, and the answer is it depends. Right. It depends on how well your brain adapts mm-hmm. to the stimuli and to the conditions that, you know, that, that, that it goes through with the, uh, with the protocols. So, mm-hmm. For some, we've seen as short as eight sessions that eight, two hour, you know, two and a half hour sessions uh, of intense brain stimuli performance training um, to see a significant difference. And we've seen a range of up to 17 sessions to, to see. So it's, it's, you know, the range is right there. That, that the sweet spot for us is around 12 sessions. Mm-hmm. And we see, you know, we see, we've seen the minimal is 50%. And that's what we want to see. Uh, but we've seen up to 130% increase. And that's just wow. astronomical. It's amazing. I, I mean, even having a 1% increase in something for an elite athlete is huge. But having that kind of uh, increase. And, and I think, you know, I, I think the sports world and just the, the, uh, even the weekend warrior world, we're starting to see that there's little your mind and obviously your body's connect, but having a little bit of improvement uh, in certain in certain places can exponentially build on and getting better and better and better as you go along. You mentioned you have this ten point assessment, and you talked about vision is important. What are some of the other aspects when you do your assessment of a potential athlete? What are some of the other aspects that you look at besides? you know, a vision and how quickly the response is. Yeah. So we look at the uh, first neurovisual and brain processing speed. Like I told you yeah. initially, we look at cognitive sequencing and sequential information processing. Uh, we, we have what several is, what is that? Is that, is that means like a certain order that you process uh, your information? Yeah. That's your, that's your brain's ability to follow a certain order of patterns. And that's very important because you want to, as an athlete, you want to detect patterns very quickly. Uh, so we, uh, we, we assess for that and, uh, we do it with several, uh, several, uh, uh, technologies, uh, uh, for example, a numbers chart, we'll put lights, you know, the lights, uh, uh, they have to, you know, turn off the light, you know, deactivate the light. And if it's a certain color, they go to even numbers. If it's a certain color, they go to odd numbers or they start going back up and then back down number sequence from one to one to five, and then we time them to see how fast they can process that cognitive sequencing. Uh, we, we also look at hand and eye coordination. Hand and eye coordination is very important. We got the technologies to make sure that they do have hand eye coordination. That's one of the things that we've seen elite level athletes are mm-hmm. very good at. That's what leads me to believe that their motor cortex is so refined that even with their eyes closed, they might hit a target, you know. Um, but they have very good hand-eye coordination. So hand-eye coordination is one. We also take a look at the dynamic visual acuity. Uh, what do I mean by that? I mean the peripheral visual. Okay, mm-hmm. peripheral visual acuity uh, and reaction speeds to their peripheral vision. Uh, the peripheral matching, seeing peripherally, but being able to match information that you're seeing peripherally right here in front of you to react, to match that information. And, and obviously, we use fit lights for that because they mm-hmm. give us a, a really good metric uh, to gauge. Uh, we look at near-far focus, the ability of the ocular muscles to contract rapidly from far to near and vice versa so that the, um, so that the eyes and visual cortex um, are, very, uh, are very accurate. Uh, that's very important. We, 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 we've, we've seen athletes that, uh, y- you know, are really challenged by near far, uh, focus. Uh, we also take a look at split attention. That's the way, you know, the ability to split your attention on two mutually dependent incoming sources of information, you know, and discriminate that information and process it. You know, uh, uh split attention is one, another one. We also look at cognitive flexibility. This is the ability of you to task 
switch, switch tasks with great continuity and synchronicity mm-hmm. without uh, having error prone execution or or hesitation. Since we work with milliseconds in combat sports, a split second makes a difference. One punch and you may be down, one kick and it'll be over. So cognitive flexibility, having the ability to follow your strategic striking combination Mm -hmm. plan without having that error-prone execution or the hesitation is very important. Uh, And the last couple of things that we take a look at using EEG equipment and mm-hmm. uh, uh, real-time neurofeedback is uh, the ability of the brain to go and achieve prime, uh, neural networks for mental flow. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they, they actually get to move some objects on the screen with their thoughts. And then we quiet down, we quiet their brain down with EEG uh, neuro meditation, let them know how it feels when their mind is completely quiet. So that way we, that we show the metrics, we quantify that meditation process. That way they know that, uh, that, that during these times or during these processes, their mind was very quiet. They were either in theta, alpha, and then when they go to beta range brainwave, they know, okay, yeah, I, 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 I felt that. So it's very important that they quiet their brain down because they only have 30 seconds in between rounds to quiet down their brain completely, you know, and get re-energized to, uh, to uh, continue on the fight. So that's really our 10-point system right there. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we, uh, we obviously develop a, uh, a, a particular um, training protocol for the athlete. We don't take a, a cookie-cutter approach uh, in that we want to maximize in the shortest period of time uh, for a fight camp, which usually uh, fight camps are usually eight weeks mm-hmm. out from a fight. So mm-hmm. sometimes we only have eight weeks to work with. And, and, and so that, that poses a challenge for us, but uh, we've got it down pat to a science on how to do it, how to do it quick and how to do it effective. Uh, so that, that makes sense. It's where, where I see the lights uh, in some of your videos when uh, uh, what are some of the other training uh, regimens that, that you uh, implement in order to, as you said, create some of those neural networks? And I know you said it, it makes total sense that it's not cookie cutter because based on the assessment, some people may need more of this than, uh, than that, et cetera. So I'm, I'm really curious and it makes sense you customize a plan, but what are some of those training regimens uh, that somebody can look for? Yeah. So like, for example, I, I mentioned cognitive flexibility. So I, I will give you uh, one of the drills. Um, let's say, for example, we got four lights out in front, right? Um, let's say for the color red, uh, you're going to throw a left-right combination. For the color blue, you're going to throw an uppercut and a hook combination. For the color green, you're going to throw an uppercut and a kick, right kick combination. For the color yellow, you're going to protect yourself from a takedown. And we put the light on the ground too, so they could do a takedown and we time that takedown so they could react quick. So we'll usually put it at about a second and a half interval mm-hmm. where the light flashes for a second and a half. They have to remember the move. They have to flow with the move. They can't do errors or hesitate or else we stop it and we go over it again. So that over a period of time, really trains the brain to follow those sequences. And what we do with the sequences and the punching combinations is that we either get with the striking coach or or with the athlete themselves, most of the times with the athlete themselves, and really take a look at which combinations they're actually practicing for that particular fight. Mm-hmm. That way, we're like a second line of defense for the brain to really tattoo and make those neural reinforce those neural connections for those fight combinations from a neurocognitive perspective. I love that. Do you ever throw them off? Like uh, there's a whole Tony Robbins thing and I'm not going to go into detail, but he tells everybody, look at look for, uh, look for a color, look for a color, look for a color, close your eyes. And then tell me everything you saw. There was a different color. Do you ever kind of throw them off? And you have this combination where you say blue, but actually it's the yellow light that goes on so they can uh, not listen to, you know, some sort of outside stimuli and can still focus on, on the yellow. Do you do anything like that? Or is that not part of the regimen? Yeah, no. Yeah. It's called the Stroop effect. 
uh, it's you know developed by uh, 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 I think a psychologist back in the in the day, Stroop. So it's called the Stroop effect, and and that's exactly what it does. Uh, you'll um, you'll see, for example, on a on the TV screen, you will see the word blue, mm -hmm. but it's actually colored yellow. Yeah. So so, and then you'll see the word yellow, but it's actually colored blue. Right. And so they're they're trying to follow you know, the color to do the combination or to do a series of moves and the wording throws them off or the color throws them off or we do vice versa, follow the color, not the word, you yeah. know, so they see blue red, and they come at you fairly quick. You know, we, we slow it down, we up it up. And um, yeah, that's, and that, again, that is, is, is one of the, the stimulates that's so important so that you could differentiate incoming information and learn to 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 work with that information, you know, without without hesitating, without uh, you know, error prone errors. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, whether you see the color or when you see uh, the the word or whether you see a light or the number or an arrow, you know, the neural circuitry handles everything as if it were action because. That's what it does, you know, uh, whether whether it's a fist coming at you or a light coming at you. And I love the light work, working with light, because you're working with speed of light. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and nothing's quicker than that from a combat sports environment. Mm -hmm. But and, and the other thing is, is the, uh, the metrics that fit lights give you uh, very accurate metrics. And those are, you know, you can't train if you can't measure it. You know, so today in today's field, you know, um, we uh, we we make sure that progress is made, and, and the way progress is made is is uh, you you show metrics, and if you're not improving, then we're going to have to you know redraw back. Let's get to some very basic functions and start from there. Sometimes we have to start very basic, mm -hmm. and but within a short period of time, all of a sudden you got. Whoosh, you know, that upward curve mobility that's that's really quick. So, yeah, so that's one example right there uh, with the lights. We we do several several other drills. We try to get as creative um, as we can. You know, you see other neurocognitive trainers out there, and, and, and they do a little bit, things a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, number one, they're, they're really... Uh, generic in, in some approach because they're dealing with every sport athlete out there. They'll train football players, basketball players, baseball players, soccer, volleyball, all sports out there. We, we, we've dished our services down. We specialize in fight sport. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I haven't worked with football players or basketball players. We have, mm -hmm. um, but we've, uh, our specialty is fight sport and, and, and with fight sports, we work with milliseconds reaction times. Yeah. Does that translate into like uh, special operations, military uh, personnel uh, that need to, you know, go on missions and have those quick, uh, quick reflexes, etc.? Is that something you can uh, take and implement for for those, uh, you know, branches of uh, of military as well? Absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, there are neurocognitive performance specialists working uh, with military have been for the past twenty years. Um, and, uh, you know, being in, in law enforcement, I was with, uh, uh, for two, uh, two and a half years was with a tactical law enforcement mm -hmm. team. And all we did was respond to, to, uh, um, critical incidents. So all these things, all these, uh, facets, when it comes to reaction times, cognitive processes, yeah. uh, processes mm -hmm. are so critical that absolutely, uh, from a tactical perspective, this is a must. So you, you're a perfect person, I think, for me to ask this in terms of dealing with fear. And the reason why I ask you that is for twofold. Number one, you were a fighter yourself. So, you know, the whole Mike Tyson thing, you have a plan until you get punched in the face kind of thing. But, you know, the fear comes at us in many different ways. You know, when you're first going into a ring or when you're you know, there's certain things you can't control. And I, I like your mindfulness practice, but uh, uh, how do you 
How do you normally deal with uh, with fear? And, and I know there's a neurochemical aspect to it as well. And uh, I'll start with that question because I have some follow-ups on that too. Uh, fear. Sure, sure. I think that uh, fear uh, has various levels that that have to be managed, you know, with, from within. And it's different for everybody. For me, um, it's more of a, an evolutionary process on how to calm it down. You can never get rid of the fear, but what you can do is that you can you can have the extinction of that emotional uh, process that goes along with fear. If you have a, a situation uh, that uh, that happened to you, uh, an incident or whatnot, and you have a fear for that now, or it's got a bodily sensation to you, you know that's mm-hmm. associated with that. That's emotional in nature. Um, and it forms a memory, right? Mm. So with memory reconsolidation, when you it turns out when you unearth a memory, uh, let's say it's a fearful memory, mm. um, when you unearth that memory, it becomes unstable. Mm. That memory becomes a little unstable. So during this period of unstableness, you can introduce new outcomes mm. to that. So right. when it seats back down, when it reconsolidates, um, it's got a different outcome mm-hmm. over a period of time. Um, you don't want to erase that memory or that fear because it, it'll always be there. But mm-hmm. what you start doing, you start pruning off those neural circuitries that have that emotion attached to it. Mm-hmm. So it's over a period of time that you, mm-hmm. that fear, exposure and fear, you know, embracing fear and, and, and handling that, um, uh, starts to dissipate for for, yeah. for many people. No, it totally makes sense. I, I, I mean, in our research uh, at uh, for endo DNA, like we see that there are certain genotypes that are associated with fear extinction. So some people have a harder time because they're genetically predisposed uh, to having less or slower rate of fear extinction. Right. So so what happens uh, over time is like uh, you know you can have an experience that uh that created fear and then also there's a there's a combination of genes around ptsd as well so if somebody's experiencing that moment like if somebody gets knocked down in a fight right some people can shake it off and football players you always say all right leave the last play behind you just move forward and be here present but some people get knocked down in a fight and they have this genetic predisposition, maybe they're going into a fight again and there's something in the back of their mind and all it takes is one shot. They can get hit, not even knocked out, but hit. And all of a sudden that fear extinction, that memory comes back up and like, oh shit, I'm going to have that happen to them again. Have you ever considered doing uh, like some genotyping in, the, in, your, uh, uh, in your work as well, just so you can show people that they may have some genetic predispositions or is that outside of the scope of... Uh, uh, your yeah, yeah. It's basically outside of my scope. I, you know, we we're in the performance, uh, in mm-hmm. the sport performance, and and that's a totally different uh, <laughs> area of expertise. But which is really dynamic, and and I mean worth so much to to look into, right? But yeah, you're right. You know, I've seen I've seen really good fighters that have trained for a really good train training camp and whatnot, and but. Once they get hit hard, they start making those mistakes all over again. Right, right. It's almost exactly. like their mind reverts back to the, what they were. Yeah. How, you know, it's like, we didn't work on that. Follow the plan. We didn't work on that. Follow, you're, you're regressing back to, you know, uh, so, and, and again, you know, that's the default, you know, subconscious nature of, of, of what we do when the amygdala just the fight flights and just kicks in and, and and just tries to hijack that yeah. you know that performance out of the out of the boxing ring. Yeah, you're like, what plan? What plan was that? What was I supposed to do? Shit, I'm scared now. I'm just in survival mode, man. I'm just gonna do whatever I think I have to do. And it's a street fight. I wouldn't ask you. I don't know if you saw the the Fury Wilder fight, but for me, yeah. oh, I mean, like, and I I did a post and asked people. For me. This was one of the greatest fights that I've seen for so many different reasons. Not because, I mean, it was competitive, but to be like, I'm not a fighter. And I, I mean, I did martial arts when I was a kid and all that stuff. But to be able, and I've been in, in fights, to be able to be, these are large men. To be hit 
that hard and then get up and then be hit and then get up and then be able to get up and win. And I mean, it, it takes so much uh, fortitude. I don't even know how to express like what it takes, but this was such a such an amazing feat for two men to go out there and give their all and get up and get up and get up over and over. So that that was my sort of perception. What'd you, what'd you think of that? No, I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, it's just some of these fighters out there like that, those two boys right there, they, uh, they could really take a pounding and it was, you know, towards the end there, it was, you know, who had the most will to win? That's you it. know, who yeah. was willing to suffer the most to win? Mm-hmm. Who, you, you know, I mean, it looked to me, it looked like Wilder started gassing out, you know, towards the end. Yeah. Uh, he was hit. He was rocked several times, uh, but so was Fury, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, it just, you know, it's not a stroke of luck. It's a, it's a, what we call minding the gap. You know, uh-huh. if, if there's a gap, there's always a gap. Uh, and it's in milliseconds that that hit comes at you, and 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 I get kind of <laughs> kind of you know funky a little bit when I hear an athlete say I didn't see that coming. Well, I I think that they saw it coming, but they couldn't react fast enough. Yeah. And if they did didn't really see it coming, they got a peripheral visual problem, <laughs> and I need to work with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, it's fascinating that you you said something really really important. I just want to emphasize that to everybody who's listening. This whole notion of who wants it more, like that the desire, like you gas out. And and the question I wanted to ask you on that is, when you default to like when you're tired and you did all that training, but you're you're going through this and you got rocked and your brain isn't functioning, like you're not you're not there the way you were at the beginning of the fight or do you revert back to some of the training? Like if you did the, the lights training and the reflexes, do you revert back at that point? Or is it more or less, it's will, it's all willpower and a technique goes out the window at that point? Yeah, no, well, it just depends. Yeah. You know, it, it depends on, on, on how the brain is processing that information after being shocked, after being, mm-hmm. you know, rocked, you know, what areas of the brain were actually, you know, sh- shaken up, you know, <clears throat> it could be a contra coup injury where the brain, because the brain's not fixated inside the skull, right? It wobbles around in there. Yeah. So a frontal hit doesn't cause the, uh, the, 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 the brain to hit up on the front, the prefrontal cortex, but it could hit over here on the back of the, for the visual cortex. So you start seeing, you know, flashes or, or you start seeing triples and quadruples of your athlete, of your opponent, you know? Okay. Uh, so a lot of things start happening. So the brain starts to compensate, overcompensate for those deficiencies <clears throat> in order to perform at a certain level, you know, a survival level at times, yeah. you know? Um, one of the, one of the technologies that we do use to, uh, to stimulate the visual cortex is uh, we use strobophobic glasses and these glasses look like sunglasses, but they have a strobing effect, a flickering effect. Mm-hmm. So, so, and you can shut one eye down, turn the other eye on, and we can work single eye at a time or both eyes at a time with flickering, different levels of uh, flickering. So what it does, it, uh, it tells, it shocks the visual cortex mm-hmm. and it thinks something is wrong with the eyes. So mm-hmm. it quickly starts to overcompensate by start to grab neural networks from adjoining adjacent neural networks and tries to look for predictability, intuitiveness. Once those networks make connection, they make connections. That's the first law of the brain, right? Neurons that fire together, wire together. So Mm -hmm. once they say hello to each other, guess what? They keep saying hello for any other thing that you do. So when we take the glasses off, those neural networks that we're getting are there. They still make connection, okay? So it's an addition, it's an enhanced visual source and visual acuity to that it's like putting a weighted vest on and working out with that weighted vest when you take that weighted vest off you feel lighter you move quicker you know got it so that's the same concept totally makes sense uh what about recovery how important is recovery in in training 
recovery is extremely important. As a matter of fact, recovery is right up there in terms of performance enhancing. You know, when you talk about recovery process, you know, rest, uh, sleep, mm. uh, sleep is very important. Uh, when you sleep, the brain never stops working. It, it, it does a lot of important functions when you're sleeping. Um, so sleep for performance is very important. You know, one of the main functions it does actually, um, during sleep time, your, your brain cells actually shrink a little bit. So the cerebral fluid can go through all these areas and cleanse out the neurotoxic chemicals, uh, from the day's firing, you know, mm. and, 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 and disposes it almost like a dishwasher, you know, also what it does, it cements memories, you know, uh, into long-term memory through the hippocampal area and through the dentate dentrate gyrus area, which is believed to process episodic memory into non-overlapping representations and, and, and off to long-term memory. And that is very important for our training because as we, as we continue with the neuroplasticity and the functional plasticity of things for the high-performance training, that portion of recovery is very important. Mm-hmm. What about music? Do you uh, implement music or do you have a, a, a opinion to uh, for music as sort of uh, a stimulant or maybe it's just a more of a, a uh, recovery type of uh, uh, addition to your training? Do you see that as an, an addition for either? And, you know, on both there is. We don't use music currently to do any type of our brain stimulator performance, but the mm. athletes do use music sometimes right. when they do their drills or whatnot. Uh, we 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 don't we don't enforce it or we don't right. you know uh, force it on the athlete. What we are starting to do, um, and and it's got music to it. Uh, we're starting to uh, implement some. Uh, virtual uh reality environments with mm-hmm. uh with the oculus um virtual reality glasses and stimulate the brain that way uh along with uh with the use of a of a really cool neuro performance uh virtual software that wow. gives the same metrics that we gauge for our external environment so the brain doesn't know if it's happening for real or not, even if you're visualizing, you know, the same neural networks fire as if it were happening for real. So anything that we could do to stimulate and and reinforce that neural network connection, uh, we're going to try it. And these, uh, these uh, virtual uh, technologies do have music to them. So it's, we're going to be doing that. Yeah. Cool. What is your opinion of, uh, plant medicine in general, uh, so psychedelics, psychotropics, cannabis, in, in terms of, you know, using it as to help with, uh, with training and also, you know, maybe to help with recovery. I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a firm believer that what grows from our planet Earth is meant to heal us, mm-hmm. uh, is for our nutrition, uh, and, uh, you know, our brain, our our bodies have the receptors for all these, uh, all these chemicals and all these, uh, all these plants, uh, and they're medicine for us. You know, it's an ancient wisdom tradition that, that will forever be a part of us. And we're reverting back to that from a performance standpoint and recovery standpoint. I know that, uh, one, at least a couple of, but at least one that I knew because I've worked for, for, for almost three years, um, UFC fighter, uh, he used plant medicine. Uh, and, and, and recovery. And he was getting of age and he had some certain, you know, injuries that he was dealing with and whatnot, but, uh, he performed like a very, uh, young up and coming hungry athlete, you know? And, and I know that from a mental standpoint, from a well being standpoint, uh, that plant medicine that he was using, uh, uh, really did help him cope with a lot of, uh, with a lot of uh, performance issues, you know, or, or, or mental block issues that, you know, that he had experienced. And uh, uh, for, for me, I, I, it's all been positive. It's all been yeah. positive experiences in here and then. Yeah. I see like uh, guys like Diaz who were suspended originally from the, you know, I think it was the UFC for consuming 
CBD, I think he was consuming at the time, it wasn't even cannabis, but then, you know, obviously it was cannabis. And I see, and now I see videos of McGregor, you know, smoking uh, joints all the time and his recovery and saying that it's helping with his, uh, with the recovery for, of his leg too. So I, I definitely think that it's, uh, you know, obviously I'm a, a proponent of that, but I want to get your thoughts because, you know, having this, uh, this background in the military and having this background in law enforcement, we always were ha- had this training and conditioning. The you know even cannabis. This is a, it's bad for you. It's a drug. It's a, you know your here's your brain on drugs and Nancy Reagan thing. And uh, I mean you maybe maybe this is something that you uh, grew up with because of that generation and then actually being in law enforcement, how did you come up with a, you know, a sort of a, a different mindset or did you always have that mindset that it's plant medicine and that's the, the way it should be? No, no. I mean, obviously mindsets change as you mature, you start to uh, realize certain things in life, you know, and you start to take a look at, at the, at the way that history has been taught back in school and how yes. wrong it was, you know, how we've been lied to, you know, yes. there's, Every time that we dig, we dig further, we find new evidence that our history is wrong. Yeah. Uh, plant medicine is, 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 and will always be as long as there's a planet Earth, you know, it's, it's here for us. So obviously those views have changed. Being law enforcement, yeah, you know, you, you get the training. I even remember that we, we used to go to control burns. What are these <laughs> control burns? Well, you actually, they light up some high-grade marijuana, and you get to smell it, and everybody's high in there, you know, like, oh, yeah. All the guys that I knew from Detroit were like, oh, man, this is great, you know. But, um, and, 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 you know, and, and so that way, when you testify in court, when they ask you, what, did, what, was it, what, did, what does this smell like? Well, smell like burning marijuana. You know? <laughs> exactly. Have you been to a control? I've been to a control bird. Have you smoked marijuana? I have. Yeah, yes. You know? So, uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, everything, my perspective has all changed about that because, you know, our governments are starting to realize that, you know, they could tax out and make money on marijuana CBD sales. So, oh, yeah. um, it's, you know, it's, it's got a lot of healing properties. Some of the stuff, I'm no expert at that. I, my knowledge on that is very limited. You supersede that, my friend, uh, a million times fold. But I do know that there's some research studies that suggest that uh, um, uh, cannabinoids stimulate protein synthesis, you know, in the brain for memory planning, you know, even judgment, uh, judgmental areas. Uh, it also uh, um, leads to uh, the brain being more plasticky, you know, more cementy. So uh, I, you know, I have, I haven't done any any research study myself on that, but the ones that I've read sure show a lot of positive benefits yeah. that that I think that we as a human species need to really take a look at in terms of mental health and the use of these uh of these uh plants. Yeah, I lo- I love that you said that too because you know, it's uh the US government has a patent on uh, cannabinoids as a neuroprotectant. So they knew something <laughs> years and years ago and uh, the hypocrisy of the whole thing is like it's still a Schedule One. What do you mean? Why do you have a patent on something that's Schedule One? Uh, so it's uh, it's sort of like uh, yeah, it's sort of like insider trading in a way in a stock. Like you know something's going to happen to a stock, uh, or you, you better start you know buying up shares low because that thing is going to go up. And that's why I feel uh, you know the federal government's probably involved in that. Uh, so definitely makes sense. So let me ask you, what is the future of uh, you know sort of the training you're doing, I, I I love the VR stuff. I think that's that's incredible. Uh, are you looking to see to expand this out in different ways? Are you looking to expand it uh, to different types of, of sports? Or are you looking to uh, add more technologies? Like, what's the future uh, for you? Yeah. So before we talk about the future, Lynn, I think we we we, we got to go uh, back in time. You know, All let's right. go back let's go to back the in time. So back in time. Um, about 20 years ago, the strength and neuro or the strength and conditioning portion was uh, when when an athlete had an injury 20 years ago, they'd have to go to the strength and conditioning coach mm. to get them back up to par. Now, now that industry, now in today's world, every elite level athlete 
has a strength and conditioning course uh, coach. Makes sense, right? Yeah. You train to perform. Mm-hmm. You strengthen to perform. So this industry, the neurocognitive performance industry, is where strength and conditioning was 15 years ago, mm-hmm. 10 years ago. So the future now that we talk about is in the near future, and it's gaining a whole lot of speed. A whole lot of people are saying, I did not know that. And they're saying athletes, they're seeing athletes like uh, Steph Curry, basketball player, right? Mm-hmm. Tom Brady. They've been, they have neurocognitive performance coaches from 15 years ago. And that's why they're so remarkable at what they do. And and I'm just mentioning too, there's hundreds of them. So they're coming now to light and saying that this, if you want to perform at a different level, you have to train what's up here. Yeah, just to interrupt you for one sec, just because I have ADD, so the thought's going to escape me really, really quick and and just uh, put a a placeholder for what you were saying. But I was reading, uh, I read Tim Grover's books, uh, winning was the last one. And he talks about the mentality of Michael Jordan because he was, he was the, uh, I think he was the, the strength and conditioning coach. I, I don't remember what his additional title for Michael Jordan and Kobe. And one of the things he said is their mental game is what really set them apart. And what, what I wanted to say, like, okay, well, these guys were special uh, uh, athletes that actually were able to do that for themselves. But if you can do the same thing for other athletes and make their head game stronger, now you combine those two together. So I think you know, what you're saying is, is right on. Yeah. And Grover, Grover is a pioneer in that. You know, he was working on mental and neurocognitive, the psyche portion, the mental, mm. as well as neuro training his own way. Because I've seen some of his training that, that he does. Mm-hmm. So, so he, I mean, he pioneered, uh, somewhat this also added to this field of neurocognitive performance and mm-hmm. absolutely it makes a big difference. So, so this industry is a toddler of an industry, mm-hmm. um, but is gaining a lot of momentum, uh, now. And so that, so more so now you have a lot of athletes, uh, seeking this type of training along with sports psychology, which has been around for a while. And there's always been a stigma. Uh, uh, if you, if an athlete saw a psychologist, Ooh, something's wrong with you. Well, I don't want to know. Don't talk about it. Well, no, <laughs> there's sports psychology and they train you for performance, you know, and, uh, that works on the psyche, which, you know, obviously rewires the neural networks. We work with the neural networks of performance, mind, body connection, react speed, neural visual, you know, brain processing speed. The, we, we work with the hardware, yeah. you know, and the software of the mind. Yeah. Makes total sense. So uh, I have, I ask all, I guess, uh, three questions. So I'm going to ask you those uh, three questions. Uh, feel free to answer or not answer. Uh, first question is really difficult. So you got to really think through these. Uh, the first question is, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Oh, shoot. That was... Gosh, high school, <laughs> high school. Um, gosh, I was a freshman, I think. Um, a friend of mine um, had this really good connection. But bef- bef- before I go into that, yeah, take you back. Um, I would say when I was uh, 11 years old, I lived in the second ward uh, in El Paso's kind of like the hood area, that area. Yeah. But uh, my older cousins and, and their friends, they used to push, push a lot of dope. And, and, and one of the guys used to, used to pay me um, five cents uh, to roll joints. And I got to be an expert at 11 years old, man. I rolled them perfect. They, they, they almost all weighted the same. I mean, they were perfect, you know. So I made my I made my money as a kid that way, um, and 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 this guy was so intelligent. He was like the 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 the, uh, the of of the <laughs> ward there. He was he knew a lot. He was a philosopher, you mm-hmm. know. And he would he would tell us he would the kids that work you know for him you know uh, he would tell us don't do what I do. Mm-hmm. You stay in school. 
you learn something. Believe in yourself. You know, all these little things that when you're growing up and you're, you know, in those developmental stages, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, he was planting seeds, mm -hmm. you know, and um, so fast forward to high school. Um, his, uh, his son, you know, um, was, was the, uh, was the guy that had all the hookups for the good, the good marijuana. Of course. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So I tried it then, you know, um, it was, uh, it was something that, you know, I guess everybody would, would, would be doing, you know, just yeah. to chill out and relax. And it made me just relax, you know, yeah. it made me just chill out, relax, think about my life, think about where I was going, think about, you know, um, what, what, where I needed to go, you know, even at that young age, I already, you know, I, I knew what I wanted to do. And then the, the, the law enforcement part would come out of me. It's like, <laughs> oh, I can't be doing this. It's illegal. It's illegal. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm a music guy. Uh, as you probably see behind me. It's, uh, 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 so I wanted to ask, do you remember what was the, uh, first concert you attended? Oh, geez. It was, um, gosh, I, I went to several concerts, but one, one of the first ones, maybe. Oh, was it, uh, I think it was like, it was the Doobie Brothers. All right. Doobie Brothers is cool. But do you oh, remember? Oh, okay, the, I, I love, I love their music. Let's do the music. Oh, the, yeah. Oh, geez. They're, they're playing, they're playing around LA coming up, uh, soon. So, yeah, just as a heads up. Uh, do you remember when the first album you bought or CD or tape or whatever? Yeah, album. There's a white album, uh, Bifold, uh, yeah. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, yeah. Love that. Excellent. Do, uh, what was the last concert you attended? I know it was COVID and all that stuff. Do you? Yeah, no. Um, gosh, I can't remember the last concert. That's cool. Um, I can't remember because it's just, you know, so, such a long time ago because, you know, I, I, everything changed about me, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the I worked in the corporate world for a while and, and, and it's just, you know, one thing for another. You know, I went into Mexico to build a business unit yeah. over there. And, and, and it's just, you know, it's, it's all a big blur for me. Well, uh, the Doobie Brothers are coming uh, soon in uh, Southern California. So I'd say make that your next concert. I'll tell you what, <laughs> I, they come anywhere near me, I'm going. Uh, so what, uh, I mean, you already answered the cannabis question. I'm not going to uh, talk about plant medicine, but a bonus question. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. My room. Yes. Growing up. Um, it was shared with, uh, with my three other brothers. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we had dual bunk beds and, uh, I had a guitar. I played guitar too, uh, mm -hmm. growing up. So, uh, then all of my brothers started playing instruments. You know, two of my other brothers played guitar and then my other brother played drums. So we would have a little garage band, but we, we didn't have a garage. Um, we lived in, uh, in, in, in apartments in the projects. So um, we, we had a, you know, a, a backyard band. <laughs> <laughs> any, any, any posters on, on the walls or anything like that? No. No, no, not really. Just, you know, uh, the, the regular thing, football, you know, I was, I was uh, into football cards too, football trading cards and yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Got it. So, uh, Roman, where can people find more about you, about your work? How can people contact you? Uh, give everybody all the information they need to get in touch with you. And yeah, on social media, on social media, Lynn, uh, on Instagram is uh, Velasquez. Uh, Instagram on Facebook is Roman Velasquez or XS2 Brain Based Leadership Neuro Peak Performance. Uh, I'm there. Also, I want to say that, that um, uh, my book is out. There's a link on the... Uh, I was going to say, that was my next question, is promoting your book. Yeah, and I'm going to send you... I haven't gotten my other copies to come in, so I could send you... definitely going to send you one, but uh, it's a five sport neurocognitive performance training. Uh, it's got uh, all kinds of good information in there if you want to learn a little bit 
about or the basics of neurocognitive and fight sport. This is it. It's got a whole chapter on drills. It's got pictures and stuff on the drills. Uh, it's got a whole chapter on visualization process. It's got all the athletes that we work with. It's got some of the some of their stories in there, and it's a really great book. Uh, if you go to uh, my link on my bio on Instagram, you can click on the link and uh, and and uh, get it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, I'm going to send you my book uh, in exchange for making cannabis personal. So I'll sign it over to you. So thank you so much for your time. Thank this you, was amazing. Great information. Um, so grateful that we finally got a chance to to do this. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's see if we can do part two at some point. Uh, go over and, and read some chapters of your book, and uh, you know, we'll have you on again. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has kind of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network. Network.